All right, welcome to the Hurtful Truth Podcast. My name is Blake Phillips. This is my very, very welcome guest, Jeff Lundin. I met him through Garrett Campbell, which if you haven't watched the second episode of the Hurtful Truth Podcast, it was incredible. And uh, he goes by at Strong Jaw Sales, as he should, <laughs> on Twitter. So, um, well, well, I guess... Introduce yourself, man. I always have everyone say, why should we listen to you? That's basically basically the question. Yeah, I mean, you can choose or you can decide to listen to me or not. I uh, have picked up a lot and learned a lot along the way. Um, I used to be an air traffic controller, worked for the government. Like I accomplished the American dream of like go to college, get good grades, get a job in your field, was making 150k and then i was like looking around and everybody that i worked with just hated their life and everybody complained and like the that you know how energy like you can just feel and feed off of other people's energy well everybody in there was draining everybody was negative and just like shitty not fun to listen to um and so yeah when i was 26 i i had just read the four hour work week and that like the book resonated with me so much about like don't work until you're old to then retire. And so I took a mini retirement, which ended up being two and a half years where I just quit and they tried to get me to stay. And I just said, no, nah, I'm already, I've already got plans. Literally there's no way. And uh, so yeah, I went and traveled around the world. Uh, I bought a, like I spent two months in Yosemite. I, rock climbing used to be my big thing. So I've climbed El Capitan like either seven or eight times. Oh, that's sick. Um, man. Yeah. Always in a day too which is even better. Wow. You don't have to carry all the shit, which we can talk about that later. But uh, yeah, so I went to Yosemite, then flew home to see some family and then like had a one-way ticket to Colombia and uh, thought I knew Spanish because I had <laughs> taken Spanish in high school, but I'd never practiced it. So I like got to the Bogota airport and realized that I didn't remember like most of my Spanish. And so I essentially just figured it out as I was going. Um, traveled around and like hit basically all the countries in South America other than Brazil. Um, flew back home to the States for a little bit, did some more rock climbing, went up, like lived out of a vehicle for a while and then ended up going to Asia to actually like study meditation with some monks. Was in a bunch of countries there and like ended up in India and was like running out of money and uh, super concerned about like, oh shit, I thought I was just going to figure out online business while I was traveling the world without putting any effort in. Like I tried, I made, I had somebody build me a website <laughs> and just didn't realize that you have to send traffic. To the <laughs> yeah. So I built a website and then I was like, oh, well, nobody's going there. Now what do I do? And yeah, the website was terrible anyway, but uh, failed there, failed a couple other businesses, got back home and was like, just watching my savings account go down and down and down. And it was to the point where I was like, well, I need to, you know, get a job or do something. Um, I was spending that time like reading a lot of books. And uh, I, that's actually when I first picked up Rich Dad Poor Dad. And that thing just like really changed my mindset. Um, I was actually asked earlier today that those are the two most influential books. So it was like four hour work week and then Rich Dad Poor Dad helped me understand how the money game was is played. And I was like, all right, I'm going to play the money game for the next three years figure it out and you know after that three years then reassess and see if i actually want to do that or not yeah man what's crazy is you brought up four hour work week the first episode we ever did was with this guy named jamie brown and he actually brought up that that was the book he read four hour work week it was the book he read that made him quit his job and now he's financially free as well so that's really crazy you brought that up i've never read it but i want to 
Yeah, I highly recommend it. I mean, if you're the type of person like me that you're okay with just picking up a couple concepts, take what you like, leave what you don't, that book has so much gold in it. And it's just like, it starts by asking questions. It starts by asking like, why do we believe in this work nine to five until we're 65 years old to then enjoy life? And it was like, that spoke to me so much. I was like, it's never made any sense to me, you know? And I was, I was on track. I could retire when I turned 49 with air traffic control, just cause of how wow. the government has it set up. But I was like, there's no way in hell I can make it 20 more years here. I don't want to be retired at 49. I want to be retired whenever I want, <laughs> but you know, obviously um, at the same time, I want to keep working. I don't want to retire at all. I think personally, what about you? Yeah, I think, uh, I think we, if you retire, you die. Um, like maybe not literally, but kind of, I know a lot of people who shortly after they retired at, you know, 56 years old was the mandatory age for air, air traffic controllers. And they died shortly after that. I think that humans are designed to have purpose. And I think that if your work is actually impactful and you like doing it, then you don't want to retire. Like for me right now, I woke up this morning at like 3.30 in the morning, like jacked and like ready to start the day. Like no alarm, uh, just like I've got so many things I want to do and I'm excited to do versus waking up in the morning and being like, oh shit, I have to go to work. I have to do this. And ultimately you probably know as well, like there's nothing that we have to do. It's always people are choosing to do things and they don't realize that it's actually a choice, which is a whole interesting concept. I was going to ask you, you know, you might've already said it, but what really got you, I know you read the book, but what really introduced you to the high ticket sales area in the first place? Yeah. So first, I guess I left it off at the end. After I read rich dad, poor dad, I kept seeing learn sales, learn sales, learn sales. And so I like went on KSL is Utah's version of Craigslist. I went on there and looked for sales jobs. And uh, I found a door-to-door -door solar offer mm. and uh, did not want to do door-to-door, -door, but I took the interview. I liked the people that were there. What and, year was um, that, man, if you don't mind me asking? Went all in on it. 2018. How old were you right then? So I guess five years ago now. Um, 29. Does that sound right? Wow, bro, you do not look. Have, no, I think I was 29. You look so young, man. Like, I'm not just saying that. That's crazy. So that blows my mind. Um, since you can, you kind of, yeah. everybody who's in the high ticket space, 22, it seems like, yeah, <laughs> it's that healthy lifestyle, man. <laughs> I think that most of these people in money, Twitter and high ticket sales, most of them are very healthy. I've noticed mentally, physically, which is why I guess that's a good segue to the next topic that we had on there, which was a uh, healthiest habits to develop. So for you, what are the healthiest habits you've developed? I mean, I think that exercise is probably the foundation of everything. Like I've always, from a young age, I saw my parents exercising. They're still fit. They still go walking all the time. So I think that that's one that literally everyone can do and knows they should do more. And so that's just, to me, a no-brainer. Um, I picked up meditation as I was listening to Tim Ferriss's podcast. 80% or maybe even more of these people that he was interviewing who were highly successful all had a meditation practice. And so I was like, okay, well, can't hurt to try. Right. And so I, I downloaded, I think Headspace was the app and started a meditation thing and then ended up buying it and 
I used that for, I don't even know how long I had. At one point I had like a six month streak of every day, 20 minutes of meditation. And, uh, so yeah, I would say exercise meditation. Um, what else? The, the newest one that I think is super important that I'm really driving into all my you know coaching students head is that I do what I say I'm going to do always, no matter what, like I just keep my word. And I, you know, I think that kind of goes into some more mindset than actually like health related ha- aspect. But I really think that mental health is like the most under talked about, especially for men, most under talked about like category of health that people are just neglecting. Mm-hmm. So the two, the two things there, obviously meditation. The other one is just conscious breathing. So whether it's like doing Wim Hof breathing, whether it's doing like four, seven, eight or uh, box breathing, like I found that these things are just basically as close as you can get to a psychedelic experience are, you know, between meditation or, or conscious breathing. Yeah, naturally. Yeah, man. Uh, there was this guy named Joel Angel. I don't know if you've ever seen him, but he's really cool. He's hopped in my spaces and that's how we met. And um, that dude said he calls it mental fitness instead of mental health because you have to, it just puts more obligation for you to actually take responsibility for it. Yeah. Instead of just like thinking, oh, you know, I was born unhealthy or something. You have to actually train yourself, train your mind every day. And that's what that tweet thread you were talking about earlier off camera was about it was about actually programming your mind to think a certain way that's beneficial to your life and you know i learned that over just life experience different books i had read like the secret and russ's book which i talked about with garrett a lot have you ever read russ's book russ are you talking about the rapper yeah i didn't know he had a book what's it called yeah it's called um get out of your own way or it's above that it says something else i can't remember it's the real name it's basically about the same stuff as the secret in a way it just explains it in his way and his life it's all in your head is what it's called oh okay um does he have a song called that as well i don't know i don't remember i used to listen to him like before he had extremely blown up he he was still kind of like smaller but he was like two hundred thousand or something was his biggest and uh, I was in high school listening to his music and I loved it. And I respect him because he he does it all. The, you know, the engineering, the artistry and the production, which I actually do all that stuff, too. Personally, I don't know if you've ever known that, but I'm a musician. That's why I have this microphone in the first place. That was one of the most impactful books, honestly. I, I remember I never read books, really, other than maybe a couple in, in the past before that. And I was in college at university of central oklahoma and you know it was my third year in college i ended up dropping out that year i remember i went there and like saw that book in the the store and i was like i have to get it so i got it and i read it in a day and i never read so he he made it pretty easily digestible that book was incredible he's talking about how it's kind of it's only delusion until it isn't delusion anymore so he's saying you know put it in your head make it happen he says, put things into the now instead of the future. And that's exactly what The Secret said. My friend Antoine put me onto that book. And have you ever read that book before? No, I've heard many people talk about it. And I like tried to watch the movie, but I've heard also some criticisms. I, I like tried to to read it, but then I, 
I, I couldn't get through. I don't think I ever had the book. I think I just tried to watch the movie and I understand, or I believe I understand pretty much all the concepts that are in there. Like they're, they're translated into so many different, like they're repeated over and over again. And that's how you know that it works. Right. Mm-hmm. That's how you know it's true. It's, it's funny when you listen to or read self-help books, it's like, they're all saying the same thing about success. And so it's like, well, even though this is, some people might call it pseudoscience or it's not as like easily measurable as something like gravity. It obviously is true of all these people are saying and describing it in different ways. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. It was life-changing even though I had already kind of known just through my life that being positive was causing my life to be better (laughs) in a lot of ways. Just being positive makes you less anxious and nervous. And whenever you're nervous, you're going to act you're going to make wrong decisions a lot because you're just so stressed out about stuff. I, One of my quotes is, prepare for the worst, expect the best. Because it makes life better, you know? You're prepared in case something does go wrong, but you just have a good ab- attitude about stuff. And it just leaves more room for miracles, in my experience. So that's what that book was really telling me. It, it gave me more detailed ways of doing it, though. That's when I learned speech, like, stop saying I will say I am, stuff like that. And that's why I wrote that in that tweet because, I mean, that's one of the reasons. I just realized everything I was saying was subconsciously circling in my mind every day. What do you have to say about subconscious and conscious thoughts? Yeah, so, I mean, ever since I started diving into the subconscious or the unconscious mind, it was right around, it was actually while I was in Asia, um, it was right when I discovered NLP. And I just realized that, like first off, NLP is probably one of the most useful models to look at the world. And there's so much depth in it. Like there's so many different arms or facets or whatever the case is. But uh, yeah, it's, what was, what was the question again? I mean, just what do you think about subconscious and conscious thoughts in general? Like, Yeah. So I have had my unconscious mind just deliver ideas to me or deliver things to me that I was just like, whoa, it was like, did that come from God? You know, or like, what just happened there? And I believe that programming my subconscious mind to do what I want me to do or my character to do is the way to to get the result. Like everything is running in the background by the unconscious mind. It's like the example I always give is you always put the same shoe on first. You run a program that's like pre-programmed on how to put your shoes on. And it's always, for me, it's always the left one. Uh, that I put on first and you know, you tie your shoelace. It's just running a program. You're not even thinking about it. So it's these shortcuts to save your conscious mind. So that way your conscious mind can focus on, you know, threat detection and looking around and, and things like that. And so, you know, it's at the end of the day, we have all the same equipment that the earliest humans had, right. Who are hunters and gatherers. And we, you know, the world has changed so much around us with technology that like we definitely weren't, you know, evolved to sit on our ass all day. And we were the whole point of like why people are so pessimistic is because pessimists survive, you know, pessimists were like, Oh, that noise over there, it might be a bear. I should not go investigate that. You know? So, I mean, I, I think the unconscious or the subconscious just runs us. And my experience at a, uh, I did a 10 day meditation retreat a couple times. I think we were we talking about Vipassana uh, uh, last week. I think so. Oh yeah. 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 It so, was a meditation thing or 
Is that something else? Yeah, it's a Vipassana is a 10 day silent meditation retreat. It's completely free after you're done. You can pay for it if you want, but sitting for 10 hours of meditation, 10 days straight, you have so many things that you haven't dealt with just come up and just like smack you in the face. It's like, Ooh, now I'm dealing with this right now. And it's, I believe that's the subconscious mind. You had that running in the background forever and you just never, you suppressed it or you never dealt with it. That's an interesting thing to talk about because I remember I would get like, I would lash out all of a sudden on my parents or something, you know, I'd just be mad out of nowhere, just pissed off and like rude. And then I'd all of a sudden it would just hit me that I was like upset about something else that had happened. So yeah, that's exactly true. Really one of the most important questions I could ask you is how did you get your jaw to look like that? It's all natural. As far as I know, I didn't, I didn't do anything. Just uh, You don't lucky. do jaw exercises? No. That's a lot of gum. Do you chew gum? Uh, I do, but <laughs> I didn't used to. I mean, I have a pack of gum right here, but yeah. But you always looked like that, kind of? Yeah, I mean, I, I remember that was like one of the earliest compliments I got from a girl like when I was, I don't know, seventh grade, eighth grade or something like that was like, something about I have a very attractive jaw. And I was like, I don't even know what that means. And then as I got older and I kept getting more and more compliments about my jaw. And then I, you know, people always will also like tell me I look like some movie star or who's got a strong jawline as well. And hey, man. my like my nickname at work, everybody gets nicknames, you know, they're talking shit. Uh, like <laughs> one of them was jaw free or, you know, the other one's uh, Jeff, the jawbone Cause you know, <laughs> playing on just Sitting basically bored 90% of the time, panicking 10% of the time was, was how that job worked. So yeah, I all natural. Every, everything about me is all natural. I don't have any piercings or tattoos or anything like that. That's crazy. Um, I was going to ask a really good question though that I think a lot of people have. It's like, how do you even develop a healthy habit in the first place? I don't know. I think you just do it. Like you realize that your where you are now is the sum of all your habits essentially you are your habits and so if you are dissatisfied with what you have now then you start introducing the thing that you want to do um i think it's super useful to associate or hang around with people who have that habit right so that's normal so like money twitter is so awesome where everybody's like yeah 10k per month is poverty like you're broke if you're only making 10k per month um on money twitter you know, like if you've been around for a little, a little bit of time and in general, it's like, that's once you figure out how business works, that's minimum wage. And so that's an example of just like elevating your standards. I think that a lot of habits are, are your standards. Um, and then an interesting exercise, I had a really cool conversation with a guy when I, when I was in Thailand and he was talking about unlearning things. So we have all these habits that are programmed into us and then just questioning like, does this thing serve me? And then realizing like, cause I used to be, I used to like in high school, I self-proclaimed that I was addicted to Mountain Dew. I would drink like at least 20 ounces of Mountain Dew a day, probably more, usually more. Um, I was uh, on the soccer team and I would be drinking Mountain Dew in a, in a water bottle. That's horrible for you, bro. How did you, <laughs> how did you survive? I don't know. That's I, uh, got like the most sugar out of all the sodas, I think. Yeah. 
No, I, I think that the, if you think about it, the body is so adaptable. Like how do people survive smoking two packs of cigarettes a day? Yeah. Damn. You know, it's just the body is incredible. And whereas if you or I would were to go smoke one, we'd be like coughing like crazy and like, Oh my God, how, how can people do this? But it's just, I think it's, it's the same thing that, you know, like people's alcohol tolerance and things like that. The human body's so adaptable. That is but, true. That is true. Uh, whenever you said unlearning, it kind of reminded me about how there's a lot of sales jobs that won't even hire people that have been closing for a long time that are incredibly good at it, but they won't even hire them. They want the new fresh dude that like has almost no experience, but he's hungry. So like, I was going to say, what do you have to say about, you know, all that you have a lot of experience in this sales space. So what do you, why do you think that is? That people don't want experience. Well, sometimes, you know, sometimes these companies yeah. just go for the guy that's fresh instead. And it's, be I know I'll, I'll start it off, you know, it's really because they want these people to unlearn all those skills that they might have got from certain places. But I don't know how to word that correctly. So, yeah, well, yeah. everything is programming. I think we both agree that there's programming all around us. We're programmed everywhere that a salesman is like a used car salesman is sleazy, right? So, if you were trained under the old school, under like the Grant Cardone's, who's Grant Cardone isn't even a sales guy. He's a marketer. Um, but if you're trained under the people who have these old school car, used car tactics, then you're going to have to unlearn all this unethical stuff. And it's way easier to start with a, a clean slate and indoctrinate people the right way. Um, I learned something really interesting. Like I've been saying the word indoctrination a lot lately. And I learned that the most important part of like a course or a coaching program is the indoctrination sequence is how you get people to be super excited about what they just paid a lot of money for and get them fully on board. So, um, Tej Dosa, I don't know if you know him, if you, if you don't, you should check him out. He's a copywriter and he introduced me to a lot of these concepts. He's got this, uh, clean your inner world. It's a 45 day challenge. Um, it's, you could almost think of it like 75 hard, but it's way easier. And it's just like, you're, you know, you give up all copes, like all substances, porn, all, all the things that you may not realize are self-sabotaging. Plus you introduce, uh, you know, a morning meditation practice. There's a nighttime routine practice. And then there's a couple other exercises that make no sense right? Like one of them is bioenergetics. I don't know if you ever heard of that, mm -mm. but it's like saying that the body has memory and keeps score. And so you're doing, we're like walking around the room on our heels like this. There's like a screaming exercise. We're doing all kinds of things that like people would literally think you're crazy. And <laughs> he's just like, just don't judge it. Just do it. Commit for the full 45 days. But his indoctrination sequence for this, like the onboarding week was like, it was more like a blog post than an email, but you would read uh, per day. There would be something to read. And it gets you into the why and shows you how important it is to fully commit and to stay on track. And so like my girlfriend and I had no problem completing it the first time through when we did the onboarding sequence and process. And then we tried to do it again, but we, I didn't go through the onboarding and I, I didn't have this strong commitment and I wasn't all in. And then I slipped up and like fell off the path. Wow. That brings up, you said indoctrination. I, I've been saying that too. Speaking of indoctrination, how do you feel about the public school system <laughs> and uh, college? How do you feel? It is an indoctrination. 
education system. So could you say I'm, that again? It's, I'm building it's an education a, it's company. Out. It's the only problem about traveling the world and living in developing countries is the internet sometimes is dog shit. It's a good problem to have, man. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, damn. Um, <laughs> I'd rather have no internet and just go live life. But you know, you got to make some money. <laughs> right. Yeah, make make a bag and then go like J.K. Molina was saying, make a bunch of money and then have the freedom to turn off the internet for good. You know, have systems in place so you have a team that can run your business or sell your business or whatever the case is. But uh, what was your what were you saying about the uh, indoctrination thing? Yeah, so the school system is absolutely an indoctrination center. And my my belief is that an indoctrination center created, you know, probably by the, I don't even know, what's the richest family, the Rockefellers or whatever, to train people to work in factories. And we just don't live in that world anymore. And the school system hasn't changed. But first off, we're indoctrinating people through commercials and media that most important meal of the day is breakfast and that they should eat sugar. And then when the boys can't focus, or first off, then you got to sit in a room, sit down for the whole day. You got to raise your hand and go to the bathroom uh, anytime that you're creative and want to think outside of the rules, you're like disciplined. Yeah. And then boys who get fed sugar, who can't focus, then they give them meth called, you know, then they, they say they have ADHD and they give them Adderall, which is meth. Yeah. And so, yeah, the very much <laughs> indoctrination. It's really interesting to see too, that like all the universities have turned into echo chambers with the same political opinion. And they like, I know personally two university professors and one of them, I was telling this and he's like, no, the reason that we all have this opinion is because we're smarter. We're more educated. <laughs> I was like, yeah, exactly. I was like, okay, <laughs> could you be wrong? And you know, he wouldn't possibly accept that he, he could be wrong. Uh, the other professor that I had uh, or that I know his uh, professor in epidemiology. So studies infectious disease and statistics and got like literally everything wrong. Like at the beginning when, um, you know, there was this sickness that people got very afraid of going around at the beginning, she like flew through Seattle airport while Seattle airport was like a hot spot. And I was like, I was taking a lot of precautions until we knew, you know, what happened or how, how serious this was. Uh, and then afterwards she was like, there's no evidence that masks work. And I was like, I'm not going to wait for a study to come out. I'm going to, you know, this might work. So I'm going to wear one. And then Later on, when mandates came out, now all of a sudden she's like, okay, now there's evidence. You have to wear a mask everywhere. And I'm like, you're, you're too late. It was already after, you know, I had got antibodies and realized that like, I, I got sick for, I don't know if you did at all, but I got sick for like 30 hours and it was not as bad as some other flus that I've gotten. For me, it was like a joke. And I was like, we're shutting the world down for this. And I guess that's a tangent, but uh, coming back to the education system, it's my sister's a teacher and they're so they have to teach the lowest common denominator and they have to teach to the test in order to get funding. And so it's not there's very little learning that goes on. It's like obedience school. It's like teaching people to comply. Bro, there's a lot to say about everything you just said. <laughs> uh, let me say Let's go to, co- well, I don't want to say the word, the magic word. Let's go to the yeah, you pandemic. Can get on YouTube. Yeah, the pandemic. Yeah, man, I, I actually, I didn't believe believe it from the beginning, but at the same time, I didn't really know at some points. I was like, I don't know. So I was wearing it a little bit, but then 
I don't know. If if we all had to wear a mask every day to survive, the world is over. <laughs> so, I don't know. I feel like yeah. there's a lot to say about it. There's so much about that whole pandemic that is very touchy. But yeah, it's what's really interesting. What I want to learn is the the market. So, if you know about marketing, you could just see all the marketing tactics that were used. And that's what I thought was so Hold up, the uh, the connection got shitty again. I'm gonna turn on my hotspot and see if we can switch over to there. But this is this is the backup plan. When I was in Minka, Colombia, uh, they the power would go out and the the internet would go out down like once a day or something like that. So I had like three different SIM cards that I could run hotspots off of depending on because like if the power truly went out then you needed to uh i didn't use one of the sim cards because that would be down and then if the other one came out i but mess can you hear me at all right now i can hear you but you're frozen i'm on a different network now so i've had that happen to me during the freaking price drop on a sales call like oh, i'm like no back all the value and i'm like yeah and it's just it's grand and then, <laughs> That's kind of funny. Did they buy? No. Shit. That That's was kind of a I savage did. way to drop a price. Six <laughs> K. Boom. <laughs> Just quick text over the invoice and. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. All right. Where did you lose me? I said something, and then right after I said it, it was just. You said something about you got sick. You said I don't know if you got sick. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I got sick, and I was sick for like a day and a half and it was like nothing like i had had a, the flu the year before and it was way more severe than how i got sick when everybody's panicking you know i'm like days and i'm like this is what we're shutting the world down for and i mean granted like i you know was listening to joe rogan and other people who were talking about making your body more healthy like it was so weird to me that that conversation wasn't everywhere of like, how do you make your immune system stronger? Instead, it was, you know, just fear essentially. And so I was like, every day in the morning, I would take my shirt off with my cup of coffee and sit in the sun and just like, just cook in the sun for like 20 minutes until like basically I was sweating. And, you know, that's the, the best way to absorb vitamin D and probably the morning sun is, you know, the less like least likely to burn you, I would imagine and just better all around. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I was doing that and I don't can't can't even remember what else, but it's crazy, man. It, you really got to see where people got their information from over those two years because it was like two different worlds. That's you true. Know? At least like how people's actions were. And like, you know, there's so much fear and there's so many like mandates and stuff like that. And it was a mess. It was especially after getting it and then having antibodies. Um, like I got tested and I had antibodies. And so I was like, okay, now I'm good. You know? And so I just had like zero cares in the world. And somehow people forgot that your body, when you fight off a virus, then you are now, you know, it, you're not going to get it. You yeah. know, some, some people like it got into this trusting the science part instead of asking questions, which, you know, my, understanding of the scientific method is you continue to ask questions. Yeah. 
Very true. I was going to say there's this guy named York Cardiology. He has a YouTube channel. His name is Dr. Sanjay Gupta. It's not the same one, the American one that people see, but he's an Indian guy. And he said he's been in medicine for like 28 years. And he said that the best medicine is a healthy lifestyle. That's what he said. He said that a lot of these hospitals and all of them, they're just businesses using so many other ways. They're, they're making money off the, the pills and stuff, but really the best medicine is just your lifestyle. 100%. Yeah. I can't remember the last time I got to the doctor. Yeah. I don't like Actually, going. Actually, I got, I got like a mole removed or something like that that was on my back. I'm trying to think. I go to the dentist, but otherwise I'm just healthy. It's crazy. Like, I have like white teeth and I don't even like have to do to, I feel like the best way it's not like brushing constantly. It's really just um obviously good toothpaste is good is helpful. Stuff like that, but and a good toothbrush. But I'm just saying other than that, it's mostly I've noticed it's food. It's the food and drinks that you consume that actually affect the color of your teeth more than anything. I don't use whitening strips or anything. Yeah. Pretty interesting. I didn't know that for a long time. There's so many things that we don't know. I mean like I feel like we know a lot and have, I, I was using the matrix analogy long before Andrew Tate came to the scene. It's so accurate as far as how programmed people are and how <laughs> unwilling people are to step out of the nine to five world and the conventional thought and to like ask questions and ask people like why they do something a certain way. Yeah. It's a fabricated world, bro. That's exactly what it is. It's a fabricated world. <laughs> There's a really good story about this, that uh, this this girl who's like six years old is learning to cook a ham from her mom and mom cuts off both ends of the ham and then puts it in the oven. And the little girl, why are you cutting off both ends of the ham? Like that's good meat that we can eat. She's like, I don't know. That's what my mom always did. And so they call her mom and she say, Hey, why do we, when you taught me to make the ham, why do we cut off both of the ends? And she's like, actually, I don't know. Um, that's what my mom always did. And luckily the, the grandma was still alive. So they call her up and they're like, Hey, why did you teach me to cut off the ham on both sides or cut off the two ends of the ham? And she's like, Oh, that way it would fit into the pan. Hmm. Wow. That's a good so, for for it. Right. I love it. It's so true. It's just, everyone just does it because they're told to. And that's a, that comes back to the indoctrination. I, they, they, they don't want you to ask why you're doing anything. And I've worked at companies that they had everyone there indoctrinated to just do what they said to do and not ask, why do you do it? And I was like the only guy there other than my other friend that lives with me and that I've known forever. Oh, we're the only people asking like, why? Why do I do this? Why did I do that? And it's like, I would find a better way to do it. And they'd be like, no, you're supposed to do it like this. But I'm like, they don't want you to ask why, man. That's all I got to say about no. that. Also really interesting that translates directly to sales whenever you ask somebody why they're always going to defend it and so if you want them to not defend it you have to ask like uh how come or like you have to ask a how or a what mm. question because when we were growing up in every single culture and every single language you do something bad and your parent screams why why did wow and so it's like program defense mechanism that when I want somebody to agree with my rationale, I'll ask them why. So for example, yeah, just curious, why did you get on the call with me today? Wow. And they're going to say themselves. And then also when I ask them at the end, post pitch before the price drop, I'll ask them, do you feel like this could work for you? And when they say, yeah, I'll say, 
oh, cool. But just out of curiosity, like, why do you feel like it'll work? And then they just re-summarize the pitch in their own words, further selling themselves. And then we just drop price. Bro, that's some, <laughs> that is some crazy shit, man. I like that yeah, one. Yeah, it's super simple. That's You'll like see a it now. sly little trick. Whatever the topic is, if you ask why, they're going to defend it. That makes complete so sense. If you ask a why question of something that you want them to defend, then you're good. But if you ask a why question, like, why don't you want to buy this? They're going to come up with reasons. Wow. Why they don't. But if they say how come, if you say how come, it doesn't, it's not like that. Um, I, it would be better probably to use a what question be like, so just out of curiosity, like what makes you feel like this isn't the right fit for you? You know, and even still, they're going to tell you a reason, right? But now you can at least overcome it. But just why I guess is good to get the honest answer. So that way you can then use that as feedback for your next pitch. Like if you know you're not closing, then you can put that in your back pocket and understand, okay, I, now I have better market research. Mm. But yeah, it's super, it's super interesting. Like I also ask people after they close, one of the questions like on my onboarding forum is why did you choose to work with me? Cause it further, like, why did you choose to pay me a bunch of money? Basically uh, it further gets them to explain their reason and justify their reason of why they worked with me. Plus it gives me marketing content of, okay, now I know what is resonating with people. Like people love to see that it is possible to work less than 40 hours a week and make easily over 20 K, you know, every, most people's goal is 20 is 10 K, but it's easily possible to take less than six calls a day, make over 10 grand and travel the world while you're doing it. Like you can literally That's ridiculous, work man. That's ridiculous yeah. because I've already replaced my income from my nine to five and it's not even a lot of money, but it's like, it's more than I mean, I got paid more in that last week than I usually do at my job when I was working like 27 hours, but I only had to work, you know, probably five. If you really think about the hour, not even that much. Whenever you add up the amount of calls, I didn't really have to do too much. You know, it was free. This freedom. So I am grateful. The uh, closing Bible community is definitely top notch for sure. But that yeah. being, that brought me into the, you know, whenever you say why, it just triggers their defense mechanism in a way because you said that the parent uh -huh. was like, why do you do that? That brings up personal trauma and how a lot of things can just trigger their mind and ways and you'll see it with your friends or whoever else there's certain things you'll say to them that will just set them off a little bit yeah so what do you have to say about the personal trauma stuff you know this is one that i'm still like understanding and learning about because i had like an amazing childhood two loving parents i i could not have been raised better and i have been actively looking for trauma and or for things that you know have created belief like my mom was very frugal. And so I had some money beliefs that, you know, I'm, I listen daily to something that programs me to talk about money being abundant and that I attract money easily and things like that. Um, you said your parents taught you that you said not to do that. No, my parents are very unaware, but they taught me that like, if I left the light on upstairs, I had to walk up the stairs and go turn the light off because that wastes electricity and electricity costs money right? Money doesn't grow on trees. Oh, we, and in, just in general, they were very, you know, they're the, if you've ever read the millionaire next door, that's totally them. Like 
super like not interested in material things. Like all the gifts I ever got were very practical things. You know, all the cars owned have been like older cars that get you to point A or point B, but aren't, you know, nothing flashy, nothing fancy, anything like that. And like, my mom looks at me, I'm wearing Lululemon pants right now. And my mom looks at me like, you spend $130 on a pair of pants. And I'm like, yeah. And I love them. And I look sharp in them and they're going to last a long time. And she just doesn't even get that. Right. And so like, I've learned where I like to spend my money, but that was something that was definitely programmed into me is, you know, I started first earning money. I think when I was 11 years old, I was a soccer referee and a a baseball umpire. Like I, I worked from a very young age and like understood the value of money, but there was still the programming that it was, was scarce. Um, as far as trauma, I'm trying to think of like, I think I asked my parents, we tried to go through, uh, and I couldn't even really pull out anything really specific. I did have this belief though, like maybe trauma and beliefs become the same thing. I'm not really sure. I had this belief from eighth grade, uh, art class. I got like a B and I was an A student and or maybe I even got a C. Uh, and I was like, you know, ashamed and like, you know, probably like crying or I, I was very emotional when I was a kid. Um, but, uh, my mom's like, Oh Jeff, that's okay. You're just not very creative. And so I took that belief and internalized it. And then I said, I literally have that story for the next 20 something years that I just wasn't very creative. It comes back to and the then, subconscious thing. Whenever you hear yep. it over and over, it's just circling in your head. And then you start to find yep. reasons externally to believe it. Exactly. And that was my story. And I actually had to work with a coach or I chose to work with a coach, uh, with NLP, um, to rewrite that belief. Wow. When it comes to trauma, I did say, yeah, I had two loving parents and like everything was all good. But then my brother did pass away when I was 14. So that's a lot of my beliefs have come out of that. You know, I had a lot of, (coughs) a lot of lessons out of that, a million lessons. And I chose to be positive about it. I was more positive than most would be, but it still hurt, obviously. But I was very positive about it. And my life was a lot better because of it. Because I believed that everything happened for a reason. And whenever you believe that, you make that how it is. Like your perception is your reality in a lot of ways. So I was going to ask, did you ever deal with grief or anything or was it just smooth sailing? I'm no, I feel like everyone has their own personal trauma. It's just in different ways. Yeah. And maybe I'm just like suppressing it still. I'm actually about to start working with the hypnotherapist again, uh, to see where, uh, the only real trauma that I can even think of is like in sixth grade getting, you know, I asked the hottest girl out and got rejected and then, you know, I, like, I still like vividly remember that, like that's, and that like sticks out very much in my memory. I can remember like what happened before, what happened after. That's a W bro. That's a, that's honestly respectable. So the fact that you got used to, did that get used to rejection or did it take a while after that? Um, I think it took a while. Cause like, yeah, in high school I was like, I was just like, pretty shy, really focused on school and sports. I was also like growing up, like in junior high or middle school, as people call it, I was like on the chess team and really good at chess. And, you know, in junior, in that age, like sixth to ninth grade, you know, 
kids are mean and bullying and whatnot. And so I kind of took, I, until seventh grade or sixth grade, I wore glasses as well. Uh, and so, yeah, I don't know. I still can't think of, uh, civic like trauma or anything like that, but like rejection, I think it was college. Like I got, I got so confident in college, like, and I'm not even sure why, I don't know if it was just girls, if it was just life in general, like I had really figured out I'm really good at school. Like I'm really good at taking tests and I'm really like a multiple choice test. Give me the fucking bar exam. I could probably pass it. You know, like if it's multiple choice, cause I just know how to take tests. Not me, but just, not me. <laughs> oh, but I just learned how, I just learned how like to figure out what is the effort that's required and then put in to get the grade that I need and put in just a touch more than that. Like I would read the entire economics book the night before test and just crush the test. Dude. Cause I was like, I got the vocab words and then I would just name drop cause it, they were, and I would just name drop the, the vocab words essentially that I heard. And I was telling one of my students that I learned in high school, you write to your audience. So like I had a teacher that had very left-leaning feminist beliefs. And so I wrote my paper about those beliefs. And then of course she's going to give me an A, you know? So yeah. that's just like, that's like kind of like landing a, that's like landing an interview. You always talk about that. I mean, whenever you're trying to land an interview, you're going to try to try to go with what they believe in some type of way. You're going to appeal to them in some type of way. That's what I mean. 100%. Yeah. If anyone's listening to this and you're looking to get a job that makes you actually financially free, you honestly should hit either me or Jeff up because we can actually help with that. And even if like you don't invest in what yeah. we're talking about, we could give you some advice, I'm sure to head you in the right direction. 100%. Yeah, that's, I actually reject more people than I accept into my coaching program. Uh, and it's just because I am so focused on making sure that everybody gives me the best testimony ever and refers somebody else that it's just like, if I don't know hundred percent that I can get somebody to where they want to be, then I just won't even take them. Yeah, man. But, uh, that being said, like I had somebody who, booked, I had a good call with her. And then I referred her to somebody else who could help her, you know, or, uh, just even sent somebody else to like, go get on Tej Dosa's newsletter and your life's going to change over the course of the next three months. Yeah. Like there's so many resources out there. It, I don't necessarily like the, the, the saying or the frame, the framing of like being broke is a choice in this day and age for the internet. Cause I don't, I think that some people just haven't had enough learning of what it is that actually matters or what actually moves the needle. Like what I'm noticing more than anything is that it's people's beliefs. It's what they believe about themselves, their self image and just overall, like coming down to their habits. Like it's like, no, you don't necessarily need to learn how to handle objections better. You just need to be better as a person and have, but at the same time, man, like, don't you think it's helpful for them to view it as a choice? View what is a choice? Being broke. You know, don't you think it's helpful for the broke oh, person yeah. to think? Then probably, probably, but if they're already in a bad mindset, then they're going to potentially internalize that and then come up with the I'm broke and it's my fault. Maybe, or, but they might also take it as I'm broken is my fault and now I'm going to work for it. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, right. that's yeah. how I did it. You know, for me, I started taking full responsibility for everything. And that, that moment changed my life. I think I was in 2020. 
something like that. I was 20 years old. At that time, I realized like, all right, I'm not where I want to be, honestly. And um, it's my fault. And I started realizing like, what could I do better? And when I started thinking of like that, like everything's my fault, but not like in a pity way, like sad about it. I was more like, what can I change? What could I have done better to prevent this from happening? That's whenever everything started going up for me. I love that. Who who started this meme of everything's my fault? Because I agree the same thing. Like, I don't know. I just, it's like I just something. About it. Okay. I, I have seen that going around, but like uh, I ride motorcycles a lot and I view anytime if somebody gets hit on a motorcycle, they get into an accident, it's the motorcycle's fault because they should not have put themselves in a position to not be able to avoid it. You know, like they, they should not have been able to let somebody hit them, if that makes sense. Or like I take responsibility when somebody doesn't close on my call. I had just recently sent somebody, I'm like, Hey man, I'm really sorry. What you were telling me is you didn't care about the income side of things. You cared about the notoriety of like publishing books on Amazon. But I realized if I would have shown you the clear ROI here and how much money you could make, there's no way you could have said that the investment was too expensive. So I'm really sorry. You know, I just like, own it. And then, uh, I actually should probably follow up, send him an ROI calculator that I've made on a spreadsheet and just be like, the only reason you wouldn't do this is if you don't think that you can follow the steps and put 30 hours of work in, you know? Yeah. That's a great way. See, that's the thing is start seeing, seeing everything in your life instead of blaming everything on something else. Yes. Not everything is your fault, right? Obviously all these people out here, you know, they're in environments that taught them wrong. So I, I get it. I saw one girl one time in a short form video I was watching. She was talking about you don't blame the plant for not being in a sunny spot, right? But that's the thing is we have legs. <laughs> that's the thing is we can move around and you position yourself. And whenever you position yourself correctly, you're going to grow better. So you got to take responsibility. Where did you put yourself? You yeah. You your own luck. You I know? would say... Have you read the book, How to Fail at Anything and Still Win Big by Scott Adams? No, I haven't. So that thing is fire. There's so many good concepts in there. Uh, he's the creator of Dilbert, the comic book. Um, he is the, I think that you probably heard that I was telling people, as soon as you get hired somewhere, start applying somewhere else because you can find a better role. And I learned that from his book. But he talked about like getting lucky, put yourself in a position to get lucky and just keep putting yourself in a position to get lucky over and over and over again. And then you're going to get lucky. Right. You know, so it's like like I'm a big believer in Bitcoin, for example, but I'm not going to rely on that shit. I'm just going to get some and have a strategy of like dollar cost averaging. And if it works out, then I got fucking lucky, you know, and it already has worked out very well for me. But then, you know, what's like what is your understanding of asymmetric bets? Cause that's like what I'm like so fascinated with right now is how many asymmetric bets can I make on myself or just define that? Yeah. So it's a bet that has limited, uh, you can't lose very much, but you can gain a lot. So the reward, the potential payoff is massive, but yeah. then the downside is capped. So it would be buying a call option. You know, everybody now thinks they're an expert at trading, which I don't think anybody should trade. Only in the bull run, they think they're the expert. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's like buying a call option is a good way to think of it. 
Um, another good example of an asymmetric bet is, or good asymmetric opportunity is going on many first dates, right? Cause you don't lose or invest very much, but you could find your life partner or your wife or somebody like that. And going, just meeting, talking to strangers in general, like there's so many of them, but I'm asking myself continuously, like, how can I make more asymmetric bets? So my, my executive assistant, uh, who I was talking about earlier, I told him two hours a day, I want you to just play PT. And I'm going to have you code me a SAS with ChatGPT, you know, this year. Explain what, you, uh, explain for the people that don't know what the hell that is. Not only ChatGPT, we already know what that is. Don't go into that, but the SAAS, SAS. Yeah. So software as a service. Uh, this is probably one of the best business models. It's something you guys all have these softwares on your phone that are recurring charges that you're probably never going to cancel or you don't cancel very often. If it's something that brings you value, like Calendly is a, an app that I have a lot of my calendars on that I can send somebody a link. They can find a time that I'm available that works for them. I pay them over a hundred dollars a year and I'm probably never going to cancel it. Uh, yeah. You know, there's all these different apps. So it's software as a service. And especially if your service is helping business owners make money, then it's a, it's a no brainer. You helping cut out when you said more money. So I'm just going to say he said more money. <laughs> yeah. If, uh, if you're helping business owners make more money or save them time, it's a no brainer for them. And so like my SaaS is going to be like combining AI with Twitter DMs and having like huge as a hook it up and tell the, tell the AI who you want to target and it sends cold DMs. And then when they respond, not only did you get a response, but then you feed it all the data so it can actually set somebody for an appointment. You could probably even have it close a deal over text. What the hell? So, <laughs> yeah, so imagine, you know, I, how much you can sell a system for. I'm just like, yeah, you tell me who you want to target. And I will just get this thing to set you appointments and it will warm them up too in this process and extract information. But how do you come, this is what I was confused. I always get confused about with this, the SAAS. It's like, why couldn't they just go to that service? Is it just because they don't know about the service you're using or is it that you're saving them time and you find a way to position yourself in a way that they need you to run the service? The what software. service are you talking about? So well, let's I'm say in this situation, having- with yours, where do you yeah. come in when they couldn't just go buy that service or, or I mean the, the software itself and just do that themselves? Where do you come in? Are you doing something like you're prompting so, it? Building the SaaS oh, you would build is the it? thing. Like, I'm going to own the app. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. You're doing that? It's monthly recurring revenue. You're doing that? I mean, I'm in the process. So wow. yeah, I, I speak into existence. So yes, I'm I'm having my uh, executive assistant code me a SaaS through J- Chat GPT. Should uh, I take Chad. this out of the podcast so no one can? <laughs> Doesn't matter. Nobody's gonna out execute me. You can try ideas. Everybody says. Everybody says. Oh, it's the idea uh, that I need. I need a better idea. But no, it's you need better execution. That's I've had true. so many good ideas. Yeah. Yep. I always say it's your idea is nothing without execution. Like honestly, execution is all that matters because you might have like, you know, whenever someone does something to you and then they go, but well, this happened, but well that, you know what I mean? It's like, but still, you still did the thing to me. 
It doesn't matter what the situation was, it still happened. Yeah. It's kind of the same thing. Execution definitely matters. You can have all the ideas in the world, but if you never did anything about it, it doesn't matter. Yeah, that's what your your thread when you're talking, your pin thread when you're talking about actions. I liked how you said that your your actions are what sum up you in the physical world. Like it doesn't matter how much Alex Hermosa you watch or insert any influencer. If you don't actually do the thing, it doesn't matter. And so like, yeah. I, I wonder if Isaiah is still in here. Yes, he is. He's uh, one of my one-on-one clients. And I, within like a week of working with him, I got him to start doing 150 outbound dials wow. because it's like, this is how you're going to get good is by actually doing it, having people hang up on you, having people, you know, not, you, you know, you're not getting the set. And I'm like, you're probably not going to make a bunch of money here, but it doesn't matter. You're going to get good here. And the longer you master this skill of getting good here and taking action, and then we, you know, review the calls or do whatever. So now we have a positive feedback loop where taking action, getting feedback, take better action, get better feedback. And then it's just going to continue like that. You know, what's funny is like every time I'm talking to people on these podcasts, I feel like we're always like-minded people. So I always will write something down and they'll say the exact thing I wrote down. Like I said, I have a tweet draft that says exactly the chamber. You said the echo chamber earlier. And then I had it right under that. I wrote feedback loop because I was going to talk about those two things and what they are. And you just use them. So define what a feedback loop is and what a echo chamber is. They're the same thing, but <coughs> define what it is. Yeah. So. I'm really obsessed with the positive feedback loops. There can also be negative feedback loops, but a positive feedback loop is where when you do an action, the resulting experience or result then allows you to take another action that you might not have been able to before and it makes it more fun. And then doing this next action then again allows things to either be easier or make them more fun. Uh, the best analogy that I can give is you're playing a, a video game. The view life is a video game. And so you start off with a weak character, no experience and no gear. As you go out and you complete quests and you level up your character, you get better gear. You get to go do better quests. The game becomes more fun. And as the game becomes more fun, you're getting better quests. You're gaining more experience, which then levels you up even more, which then opens up new quests that you couldn't have possibly done when you were a beginning character. And so yeah. it's this beautiful feedback loop. Yeah, man. That's so true. I actually have a TikTok I had made a long time ago. And it says, life is all about progression. It's like a video game. I actually said that. In a video game, whenever you got everything that you ever wanted, right? You quit the game. Because it was boring. <laughs> it's like, you got to have a challenge. You got to have some type of progression in your life. And that's why I get my happiness from progression. I stopped getting it from the thing. Don't get it from the destination. Get it from that journey. Because the whole point of being here to me, of life, the whole point is that journey to experience life. Because if you knew everything about life, you wouldn't actually be living life at all. You know? That's, that's so true. Yeah. And that's why, like, I've been retired, right? I've, I've been, you know, two years traveling the world, two and a half years, actually, traveling the world. Sitting on a beach, man, for more than two weeks, it gets old everybody's things that if like, when I get this, then I will be happy. It makes no sense. It's like, if you can find happiness and fulfillment in the moment, doing the thing, 
doing something that feels like play that other people view as work. Like for me, that's coaching. Like right now I'm in a season where I'm doing a lot more coaching than I am actual sales calls. I probably take about 10 sales calls a week, maybe a little bit less. And I'm taking eh, right now, I guess, I don't know, eight coaching calls, but the coaching calls are an hour long. The sales calls usually I can close them in 30 minutes. So it's, and, uh, and whenever you, whenever you got everything, you know, you became retired. Right. And, and whenever you got that to that point, did you ever get to a point when you were sad? Dude, this is a thing. So with retirement, um, I mean, in this case, I wasn't like, <clears throat> I, it's better to view it as a mini retirement where I had, you know, I knew I had two years of living expenses and travel the world, but then I knew I was going to have to do something later. But back to, I was telling you that I've, you know, I've climbed El Capitan in a day multiple times. Sick. The, <laughs> that was in, what was it? 2015. That was my life was like training to climb El Capitan in a day. I was studying it all the time. Like literally when I was doing my meditation, I was visualizing every section of the, it's a 3000 foot route. So I was visualizing every section of it. And it was just like my purpose essentially. And then my partner, like who was supposed to climb it with me, pushed out. And then I got another guy and then he pushed out. And then I was like, oh shit, finding a partner who can, you know, go for, 12 to 16 hours straight and take risk is, you know, that's the real challenge. Uh, and I found a guy last minute and we absolutely crushed it. Like I was expecting somewhere between 12 and 16 hours. And we did 13, 13 and some change, 13 hours. Um, but uh, after that, I was like, okay, well what's next? And I like tried to set a next biggest rock climbing goal, but I just like soon lost fulfillment. And then I kind of fell into this depression of like, I got the thing that I worked so hard for that I made my life purpose for the last year. And now I was like, what is the purpose of my life? Or like, what am I doing? I need some kind of carrot or something to focus on. And I, and I couldn't find what it was. So that, that made you sad. Yeah. I would say like sad, depressed. Uh, I'm not very good at labeling feelings to be honest. Uh, maybe that's just a belief I have, but sad um i guess just like a little bit empty i'm trying to think of uh, yeah man i can see that i can see that feeling for sure like yeah empty that's probably the word i'm trying to think of more words for it because i feel like i know the feeling even though i'm not i haven't ever ever reached that you know but <clears throat> i think i know the feeling the feeling it's just an interesting thing because a lot of the people listening even they're gonna be they're on the way and they really want to reach that. And whenever they get there, I don't think they realize it's just going to be another mountain. Yeah. It's so. the, what's the Miley Cyrus song? It's, it's the climb. Like it, it truly is like, it's about like rock climbing in general is you get to the summit. Like the last time I climbed half dome, you get to the summit in the dark. You know, we, we did a, like a, from the ground, you we had a hike fucking 13 miles or something like that to get to the base of the route and then climb 2,300 feet, get to get to the summit in the dark winds blowing like crazy. Like we didn't even just like pause to enjoy it. We we're just like, let's get the fuck out of here. And so the whole thing, the enjoyment was doing the actual thing. That's so, crazy to, to me. And I'm sure to all of them, but. Oh, probably. Yeah. I mean, crazy if to you think guys about, you know, 
was that? Just crazy to think about getting to the top and just immediately going down. Like there's no, like they all think, and even me sometimes, it's like you think you're just going to get to the top and just bask in it and just love it. And then you get there and it's like, all right, let's keep going. Right. But then you're out of water and you've been out of water for an hour and you've been going nonstop for 20 hours and your body just hurts and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to eat some food and get some water and go to sleep basically. So crazy. Well, whenever you got to the top of these, or was it always, you've only done one or you've done a bunch of different mountains or what? A bunch. Okay. So whenever you got to the top, was it like, would you say any of those times were like the best moment in your life or no? I would say the the first time that I climbed, yeah, El Cap in a day, when this was, when this was my purpose and it actually ended up being easy and yeah, I got to the top and it was like, I am the man. Like this is fucking awesome. <laughs> so that was the best day of your life. Good question. I the best day of my life hasn't happened yet. I think it's every day. <laughs> yeah, I like that. That's I like how that. I feel. I feel like you choose your happiness. I think that you can find happiness anywhere you are because it's all in your mind. It's your perception. Like I said, your perception is your reality. So yeah. My dad something said something really interesting. I, I don't know if we're talking about relationships or what, but he's like, it seems like every time I go into the kitchen, mom is there and she's in my way. And he's like, but then I realized when we went out to dinner with these other guys and this guy's uh, wife has already passed away. He's like, when, if mom were to pass away, then she, I wouldn't have her to get in my way. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> That's a good one. Right. So that way you just love and you just realize more in the moment, like even the things that that frustrate you or challenge you, you're just like, I'm so grateful for this person or I'm wow. so grateful for this experience. To me, there, all these obstacles could be opportunities for you as long as you view it that way. It's all about framing things in a productive way. Think about the most productive way you can frame your life and choose that. And one of my favorite quotes is actually Andrew Tate. He said, I don't believe in anything that holds me back. It's something like that. I'm paraphrasing. Mm. So I don't believe in anything that doesn't give me power. I think that's the word he used. And ever since he said that, I was like, damn, <laughs> that's so amazing. And that's why he doesn't, you know, and I don't either. I don't believe in uncurable depression. I don't, I believe in the feeling of depression. I just don't believe in anything uncurable. It's all in your mind. And, the moment you believe something is impossible to change is the moment that your life is over or it remains that way for the rest of your life. Yeah. So I have a, I have a really interesting uh, story on that. So my mentor taught me whenever you classify something as like bad or something happens to you that you don't want, instead of wallowing in how much it sucks and all that stuff, because you can't change it, you can only choose how you respond to it. You just start asking yourself over and over and over again, how is this good for me? Yeah. Right. Because then, of course, your subconscious pull out the reasons. And like for me, I had uh, last year, a little over a year ago, um, my backpack got stolen down here in Colombia, had my passport in it, had all my clothes. And I was like, well, this fucking sucks. And, you know, initially I went into the like, oh, my gosh, why am I in this country? Why are people like this here and all this stuff? And then like when I started looking at the good, it ended up like. I, at the time, was just barely, like, dating uh, my girlfriend. 
And because like, she was really helpful in me, like figuring out how to file the paperwork and get a new, new passport and all this stuff and caused me to stay in that town for way longer than I probably would have. And now we're like in a very happy relationship. And so it's like, that was the good that I saw come from it. What's even more crazy to wrap this story up is I almost never pray. Like I believe in God, but I don't, uh, I don't have praying as a, a habit. And I also don't view, I don't view God as a white man in the, in the sky. I think that's a, a Russ song, right. Or something like that. But the day before that happened, I was like wondering like, Oh, what am I doing here in Colombia? And like prayed for a sign the next day, my backpack gets stolen. And I was like, that's not the sign I wanted. So be careful what you wish for. Or ask exactly. For. Exactly. You know, speaking of that, like, man, that's a lot to go into right now. <laughs> when it comes in, uh, I talked about my view on God in the probably the third episode, something like that. Yeah, I have three episodes that are out right now, as of right now. But there's one that's about to come out before this one drops. So this is episode five. Um, nice. Episode three, people should watch that for sure. I talked about that. And I'm not going to go into it right now because it's a long... What would you say? I said they should watch them all. Yeah, they should watch them all because they're amazing. But I appreciate <laughs> you saying that. Um, I only my... listened to the first 10 minutes of Garrett's, but I'm already... Yeah, I'm already saying It was incredible, bro. Honestly, all of them are amazing. And like straight out the gate, I was interviewing financially free people. So I am proud of that because... It's all about your network, man. That's who you're talking to. That's you elevate your mind. You know, talking to people like you elevates even my mind even higher. And I really am appreciative to have people in my circle. And I also take responsibility for the fact that I put myself here. You know, I think that a lot of people don't realize it's not now luck. Like I said, it's something you create. So it's something you create. It's all probability. So whenever you start realizing what will give me a higher chance of something happening, that luck was created by you because you put yourself in that spot. It's like you're gambling. You're going to choose the thing that has a 60% chance of winning over the one that has the 30% chance in most situations. Yeah. Again, everything is your fault, including the good stuff. Yes, exactly. And just to get through these... um, Different ones. I could go forever, bro. But the next one was um, methods to avoid distraction and remain focused. So what are your best methods for just staying focused and being productive? I mean, I think the biggest thing comes down to the phone, right? This is a distraction machine. It's a, a way to make money, a way to connect us. There's a lot of good things about it. But most people don't put enough protective measures in place. So like I, my phone is always on do not disturb. You cannot make my phone ring. Like I have an alarm that goes off at eight o'clock. That's just, you know, her to be like, okay, I'm going to start thinking about where I'm at and start getting ready for bed. So that way I can wake up naturally with the sun or before the sun tomorrow morning. Uh, what else? Um, I've moved also. So I still have like notifications that are, you know, like when you get a new message, like a little tick goes up. Well, I just recently moved all those off of my home screen. So I have to swipe over consciously to find 
where any of those badge notifications are, because otherwise like I'll be using my phone to take notes and, or something like that. And as I'm trying to get into the phone, something will distract me and grab my attention. Mm. So I'm really conscious about like, I think that I used to think time was the most valuable thing. And I used to actually had this negative association and I still do not tolerate when people waste my time, but I've realized now focused attention is the most important thing. And so like the way that I structure my day is I want to get an hour of super focused work done ideally before I even look at my phone, you know? And so that's probably the biggest thing for focus and avoiding distraction is protecting myself with my phone and then also just not going and opening up loops. Right. So not checking the email, not, not doing anything that like I view email now as somebody else's to-do list. Cause it's like, I didn't ask for that. Now that somebody sends me an email and they want me to do something. And so now I like either have to mark it as unread or star it to come back to it later. It's not business for you. It's not like you don't have a lot of business in email. It's mostly not really. Yeah. That's the difference. There's some people though, that they got all their business in their email. Right. Employees, they get their tasks in their email. You know, the email says you got to do this, this, and this, but no, I mean, there's still, there's still good emails that come in. Like I have one, uh, Joseph actually responded. I just started finally, I've had email addresses collected for a while and I just, just started actually, uh, a newsletter and selling, sending to them. So it's going to be an interesting process because I've just like not wanted to allocate the time, but going back to it, was your question about focus or avoiding distraction? Uh, both. So just I productive think pro- productivity. I think it's just doing less. Like, uh, I can see that's Brent- crazy. A lot of people are going to be like, what the key to being productive is doing less. Yeah. So I can see Brandon in here. He's one of my one-on-one students and, uh, he was doing like four or five different business models at the same time. And I was like, if you want to get good at sales, you gotta, you gotta let some stuff go. Like the more that you get all these A level opportunities, you gotta say no to the B's and the C's. And, uh, a lot of times it's challenging for us to have hard conversations and to let things go because we think that more is better. Right. Yeah. And that's how we're programmed. And so it's just like, do less, but do it better. And then have more of your focused attention. Like I have the belief that we have like four to five hours of true deep focus work in a day. Like you could probably get more, true. but true. to be really sharp, I have the belief that you don't have like nobody's working eight hours of full, deep focus work. And if they are, I want them to coach me. I want them to teach me how they manage their energy. Yeah. Like, and then even if they are, a lot of the time they end up being less productive in the long term just because they use all that energy up. Burn out. Yeah. Yeah, man. The next one was methods of self-reflection, which I could talk about forever as well. But for me, it is voice memos. I journal and talk to myself, but I don't like, I don't have to say anything. I just turn it on, you know, because even if I don't say anything, I'm just thinking and it makes me be with myself. It makes you because you know, you're the person that's going to listen to it. So, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I actually just started doing this. Uh, it was, it was actually for, um, asking for a raise and being really frustrated with uh, one of the things that I'm doing where I'm getting paid hourly, I was super pissed and 
you know, was going to a voice note to the, like the CEO and talking about all this stuff that I was mad about. And then instead I was like, actually, I'm just going to record this as a voice memo mm. and then not send it. I think Abraham Lincoln or one wow. of the, one of the presidents wrote these would write letters and then not send them. Yeah. So the putting it out there gets it off of you. You get to say exactly what you, what you think. Um, and it's just a way to let go. So I ended up recording two very, I mean, they weren't super nasty, but I was pissed. And I recorded two voice memos that I just never sent. And now I can go back and listen to them and be like, yep, sure glad I didn't send that. You know, that would not have gotten me closer to where I want to be. Wow. That's incredible to think about. I never really thought about doing that. Because <clears throat> sometimes this other guy said, at the moment. You were saying? This, this, this other guy and I thought it was really interesting. I've tried it a couple of times, but whenever you're looking for advice for something or you want to reflect on something, write it down. Like op- he was saying, open an app on your phone. But so yeah, write it down and then uh, like close your phone, go do something else for a sec, then pick it back up and act as if your friend just sent that to you Yeah, and then give advice. And that's kind of how it is with my voice. Yeah, that's how it is with my voice notes because – it's like ex- honestly the most important thing is just externalizing it and then being able to see it afterwards just it getting it out of your head yeah it right? doesn't matter how specifically just do it what works for you but for me voice memos is best because i can like say a lot at once and i have a lot of thoughts in my head just going back and forth you actually yeah. brought up earlier about adhd and add and how every- a lot of people are just diagnosed with that But really, the truth is you can control your focus, even if you do have a you're naturally really all that is. If you look it up, it's I'm pretty sure ADD is just a natural deficiency of dopamine. So once you realize that you figure out healthy ways to get that dopamine, a healthy amount of it, you can be way more focused. And I've realized this. I I don't know. I've, I've set up my life in such a way I used to not be able to focus very well. And there are certain things I'm horrible at focusing at, like lectures for a long time. If it's interactive, it's different. But once you just understand yourself and how your mind is working, you don't need all these drugs, man. You don't need all these drugs. Just change your lifestyle and figure out what works for you in the healthiest, natural way. It's trite to say, but we truly do have all the answers within us. And yeah. sometimes we need a good guide or a good coach to ask us questions to pull it out. But ultimately we have all the answers. And that's what I think that sales is so cool because you get to ask questions and you get to hear people say, Oh my gosh, I've never thought of that before. Yeah. And then you get to walk them through different emotions and get them to realize they have a really serious problem. They got to solve it. And then you're just like, show them how, if your solution does solve it, here's my solution. Here's what it'll do. This is going to help you. Isn't it obvious that you want this solution instead of staying where you're at right now? And then. Yeah, man. It's like psychology. I love psychology. So that's why sales is really fun. Really fun for me. I'm passionate about it. Just asking why people do things and then figuring out how to, how to affect them in such a way by just asking questions or by talking and convincing them things is so so incredible to me but yeah. um i wanted to go into real quick the uh, healthy foods what are some healthy foods you eat man um i just eat a lot of like 
first off, I think, uh, like good organic ground beef, like just beef in general, I think it's healthy. I feel great. And yeah. I, I get my beef when I'm in the States, like I buy a quarter of a cow from a butcher in Utah without <laughs> roaming in the, the mountains, you know, no antibiotics, nothing that versus, you know, the, I have some issues with the, like the food industry or the meat industry and all the antibiotics and all the other shit that they Bro, how there. much shit is bioengineered is ridiculous. Like, are they like right. actually genetically engineered this stuff? It's fake. It's crazy, yeah. bro. And then yeah. uh, we talked about this before, seed oils. I mean, I'm sure you know about them at this point. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're in everything, man. Almost everything you'd go to the store and see, it's all the processed foods. They're made out of soybean oil, canola oil, vegetable oil. There was another one I'm missing. These seed, like sunflower oil, these things are horrible for you. They actually increase the estrogen in your body to make you more feminine. Men are very needed in this society to even survive now obviously women are too but we don't need all the men becoming women that's another story (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i was just gonna say it's really awful along those same lines is soy like soy is just i mean it's a meme on twitter right but soy is just overly processed and soy lecithin everything like you get any chocolate that you look at it's used as an emulsifier and it's just like i look at all these things and i'm like how does this have soy? It makes no sense. Like yeah. I've, I've seen ground beef that has soy in it. And I'm like, what, why? It's fake, bro. This it's, it's literally fake, man. If I see soy is in it, I, I, I just, on the inside, I gag, man. Like, I'm like, I don't want to eat this. Cause I'll be eating it. And I'll be like, this might taste good, but I just know it's, it's fake. And I want to eat real food. I mean, you feed your body correctly by feeding your mind correctly. And uh, I'm very, very strict about, like, I'll have a certain amount of things I can cheat on, I guess. It's not cheating, though, because 20% of your diet could be whatever. But 80% needs yeah. to be very healthy. And you, your life will change. And speaking of that, this podcast is partnered with Epic Water Filters. And I love these water filters. They actually get rid of fluoride and tons of contaminants that are in your water. And even if you have a Brita water filter or something, they don't actually take out much. Actually, the Brita, I'm pretty sure it only takes out carbon and it doesn't even take out all of it or even 99%. It's pretty bad. And the one I got now, I went and found this company. So it's not like I just wanted to make money off this company. I really went and found something for me just so I could have a good water filter. Because it's disgusting drinking this water. You look up and find out what's in your tap water, bro. And I don't know, it depends on where you are. If you're drinking straight out of the spring, that's different. But you know, I know with you, you're probably traveling all over the place with some actual good water. But I'm sure a lot of those places don't have good water. You should get one of these. A lot of it, it's this. Oh, yeah. A lot of it's in plastic. Is it? Is it travel? Is it bro, easy to travel with? Yes, bro. It's, they have a water bottle. Like, they have a water bottle that has a filter in it. That's crazy. I mean, this, this shit is crazy yeah. to me. It blows my mind because it's affordable. Like you can find stuff like this, but not the water bottles. I've never seen those. But you can find stuff like their white, wa- like their filters that filter really well. But they're always like two hundred at least. This one's only the one I got is like a dispenser, like this big, and it's like seventy five bucks. That's nothing, especially if you're in a household with multiple people. You just go half and half, you know. Boom. Well, obviously it's yeah. not half quarters if you had like four people, 
But my point is, I love that company. Use code HTPOD at checkout at epicwaterfilters.com. And I'll link it in the description of this. You got to get it. Epic Water Filters? Yes, Epic brand. Water Filters. Man. I'll check it out. I'm going to get one of the guys on the pod. So too. I found recently that, yeah, the so what happened actually was I was at a uh, yoga, like a hot yoga class when I was in Utah. And they had alkaline water there. I don't know if you've ever had alkaline water. I have. Like super filtered. And then also they increased the pH. Maybe it's better for you. Who knows? But I had like this much left in my water bottle. I went to work right after yoga. So I, you know, took a shower, went to work, had this much left. I drank it. And then I filled it up with the water that they were you know, like government water, like literally from the uh, federal government building. Took a sip <laughs> afterwards. It was like, oh my God. Like yeah. it was so bad. And so yeah. you wouldn't be aware of that if you didn't have them side by side. But once you have them side by side, then it's like, you can't, you and can't. Also, drink- you know, if you were drinking it for a month and then you switch to the other one and drink that for a month, it's crazy. Dude, your body is made up of 75% water or whatever you want to say it is. It's like, obviously it makes up a very big portion of your body. So you should be careful about what water you're drinking. They even have some that go on your faucet or you could get it on your, probably even your shower. And that's what I want to do because you absorb water into your skin whenever you take a shower too, which I'm getting there. But that's some crazy shit to think about. But uh, do you know about fluoride? I I know that it was introduced and it's into the water supply and at large quantities it's poison. And it makes no sense that it's, to me, that it's put into our water like without consent. The guy who puts it in has to wear a suit. You know what's even crazier? You know what's even crazier is who did it before us? Do you know? No. The Nazis. Really? Yeah. (laughs) I've heard stuff like, honestly, man, after 2020, I feel like the conspiracy theorists are undefeated. So now I'm like on board. (laughs) I'm on board with all conspiracies now. But yeah, the, I mean, I think the federal government was putting it in the water back in like the fifties when they're also up to some other strange experiments and things like that. It's I've the heard propaganda that it, people, the same people that create all this propaganda are the same ones that do this. You really think that they're not serving their agenda of making you docile, more, more able to be controlled. Have you ever, have you been off fluoride for a long time? Cause I've heard these people talk about like, I don't know if it's when you're sleeping or what, but like the demons or something like that. The demons. I don't know. You got to look it up. It's like <laughs> if you're in the developing world, I don't know if it's, I think it's like sleep paralysis. Well, uh, I don't know about that, but I do know I haven't been fully off. I've almost been off completely. It's just that my toothpaste still has it and it's in all the deodorants you use and it's in, it's in so much stuff, man. But those are the main things is toothpaste, deodorant and water. I've gotten it out of my water now, which I'm very happy about. I mean, it takes out 99%, which is definitely enough, but the craziest thing is I found this video that taught me about this stuff. It was called the biggest cover up in history or something like that. Flora. It was about the pineal gland, pineal gland. And I don't know exactly how to say it. I'm pretty sure it's pineal gland, but it's, it looks like a pine cone and it's like right here where the third eye is. And it actually, there's a lot about it you should look into, but that's what the fluoride does. It calcifies it. So it makes it to where your imagination is smaller because that's really the stem of your entire consciousness is your 
third eye or your pineal gland. So it makes you less imaginative, makes you think more in a box. It's really interesting though, because you can look at all these carvings and different things that the art from the Egyptians and even before that, all these ancient civilizations, they all have pine cones and like different things in the middle of their head, right where that is. Uh, it's, it's all these so different I've heard exactly this, the pineal gland. I've heard exactly that it, it calcifies it. Um, were the Egyptians like advanced way beyond what do you, what do you I thought? think There's so something about that culture. Like I don't they, know. They, they, I, I don't know, but I really think that they were, they had the ancient technology, I think was even farther than ours in some type right. of way. I mean, obviously ours is different. I think it's different, but I think that they're, I don't know what happened, man. I wouldn't know, but it's like really interesting to think about honestly maybe they had a better grasp of how to control their reality or something like that they built then, the pyramids we both yeah exactly yeah, what were you saying so i was saying maybe they have a they had a better grasp of how to control their own reality uh like because we already know that we can control our own reality to some degree and that we can bend it and things like that but maybe they had a better understanding of how to actually do that That's um interesting because they had the they had those carvings with the pineal gland and they must understand consciousness better because that's the stem of your entire consciousness, which is literally what makes up who you are and your entire world and your perception of your entire world. So they must, if, that's interesting if they all had those carvings in there and then they also built pyramids with like, you don't even find how they did it. I don't even understand how they did it. People think it was aliens and maybe it was just humans that were so developed i don't know now yeah, we're on I, some conspiracies but i like it i, <laughs> I was like gonna it. say now this is turning into the conspiracy twitter spaces and podcast but i like it <laughs> <laughs> all right last couple things before we ask them questions would be i really wanted to ask you what do you think broke minds don't understand about money because you're on a very high level when it comes to understanding money yeah. So I just asked myself this question recently and cause I've been on this, on this trip that like, I believe that everything's a belief. And so just, what if money is just a belief? No, what do you mean? It is a belief. I mean, it's energy. It's like people. Yeah, it is. Like, I, yeah. yeah. It's energy as well. But it, you like literally when people go through my uh, private coaching a lot of what I'm doing is deprogramming and figuring out what kind of programming do they have because there's so much programming early on about how money's bad, how rich people are assholes and things like that. And yeah. if you truly believe that, and, or if you have that internalized into your subconscious, then you will always self-sabotage yourself before you get the money because you want to keep yourself safe by not becoming one of those rich assholes or people that you have. Exactly. Whatever you think the villain is, <laughs> is what you're avoiding. As much as you can, unless, whatever unless you, you want to be the villain. I said, whatever you think the villain is, is what you're going to avoid. Uh, unless you want to be the villain. <laughs> but that's a different story. Here's another, here's another gem on that is like, just making money is easy. You know, you just got to find somebody who you can improve their life on. But in general, the, the gem here is nothing is hard. You just haven't learned how to do it yet. Or you haven't learned how to do it well. Like we can come up with countless examples of something that we think is hard that other people are like, oh no, that's super easy. Yeah, like right? me, I, I know that like my parents, they don't understand social media as well. I had to teach them so much and she's like acting like it's so hard to do the most basic thing. I think it's so easy, you know what I mean? 
Yes, 100%. The things that you do are only as easy as you believe them to be. So it always goes back to perception is reality, man. If you believe it's hard to get money, it's going to be hard. Right. If you believe it's easy, then you're just stupid for not understanding. <laughs> you're going to go out there and figure it out. Like, you're going to go out there. I, I put myself in that position. I quit my job before I even had this stuff figured out, bro. I I went into debt on purpose to to get out of that situation. I wanted to replace that income. I want to be free. I want to be rich. And I felt, I would literally tell, my friends think it's hilarious. I'm always saying like, if we can't get a client for this, we're stupid, you know, because we're good at what we do. So it's stuff like that. I would say things to that effect. And it makes me go do it because I don't want to be stupid. I have a high, I have a, I'm too confident. <laughs> I'm too confident to go and be something like that when it's an option. Love that. Yeah, man. So um, why is money a tool for freedom? I mean, it just, you can solve so many problems. There's so many things like that you can do with money. You can buy back your time. You can just, there's so many things that I don't want to do that I just pay people to do. Right. I, I have an executive assistant now who I pay monthly, who gives me back at least 15 hours of my time per week. And so there's freedom right there. Right. So I don't like my goal is to work less than 30 hours a week. And so using money to solve money problems is super useful. And obviously you can't solve all problems. Like you can't solve problems that, that with money, that, that, uh, money can't solve like that's the thing, but you have a lot less problems if you solve all your money problems. But how much so, is enough money? Um, I'm not really sure. I think that humans tend to have this, they say a number and then once they reach it, then they say another number and then they reach it and they say another number. And yeah. so it really, that's like, the mountain think, climbs that we were talking about. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think that people will always extend their, their number to be higher, but, uh, I mean, I like one of my affirmations that I listen to in my, in my identity document or my mindset folder, it says like, I have more money than I'll ever spend. So that is enough. And so it could be if you have, you know, what your living expenses are, uh, and you figure out, you know, like the, the fire people, right. The financial independence retire early on how they can, once they have 25 times, whatever they're going to spend in their life, then they can put it into a, an account that earns uh, if it's like an index fund and as long as they don't draw more than 4% of it per year, they'll never run out of money. So that could be an example. Um, I don't, how much is enough? That's a, it's really tough. Um, I would say 10 Bitcoin. At the m moment, of course. Just in general, I think that Bitcoin is going to be the thing that replaces everything. But I think that, I mean, that's way too much. Probably, probably one Bitcoin is enough uh, to be honest, but you got to wait for time to catch up. So uh, until then, it's. I mean, don't I give me a number. Maybe more like, because it's gonna fluctuate so much. More like a, a position, if that makes sense. I don't know how how else to ex explain it. I guess what's the position that's enough? It doesn't have to be a number, but let's say you have to have enough money to buy this many houses, <laughs> enough money to buy this many houses, enough money to do this. That's what I kind of mean. If you had to word it, word it like that. Yeah, I would say to buy a stream. Wait, say that one more time. It, it cut out. What'd you say? 
Yeah, I was going to say enough money to buy a passive income stream that yields you X. And whatever X is, is your whatever your yearly expenditures are. So that's 50K, 100K, whatever. And so, you know, you probably need 10 times that in, say, real estate or in something that's an income producing asset that truly is passive. Because a lot of, you know, most times passive income is just people selling you, uh, people working 80 hours a week. Um, to sell you a dream or a scam or something like that. But uh, also the, the big question that I have is, I think hyperinflation is coming, even to the US, even to the dollar. Yeah. And so if that's the case, then I don't know. If you're storing it in dollars, then how much is enough? At the end of the day, though, no, I'm here in the developing developing world. And I'll tell you, a thousand bucks is a month. A thousand dollars per month is enough here. Like I could never work again. And live here in Colombia the rest of my life. Easy. Wow, bro, what? <laughs> yeah, I might have to come out there. No, I mean the light. I always choose to like stay in you know better places with awesome views, like penthouses and things like that. But you can you could spend so little money here and just in the developing world in general. But specifically, Colombia is probably the cheapest country in Latin America. Wow. That's so interesting. I was going to say, how important is it to have a business model that's scalable to you? Or like, you know, for me, I feel like the reason why I brought that up is you got to think about the potential of the business model that you've created and how do you think it's important, super important to you to have something that's able to be automated in the future, completely automated to where you don't have to touch it? Or is that just uh, something you do after you've brought in the cash flow or what? I think after, I think you build something else on the side. I think that uh, people spend so much effort and time trying to figure out how to not work when instead they could just focus on doing work that they like. Yeah, true. Right. So like I genuinely enjoy teaching and coaching and doing that. And so, and I genuinely enjoy sales calls and selling. So for me, it's fun. Like it's just a game. It's a way better way to have your experience instead of, if, if the goal is to hurry up and get to a point where it's automated, like I do like the idea of not needing to work and this in the four hour work week of how you can literally work less than four hours a week and make a hundred K a month, um, you know, with the right systems and things like that in place. I've been asking myself a question. It's actually on my whiteboard at home. How can I spend eight hours per day outside? Cause we as humans were meant to be outside. And I always am out there trying to get sun, man. I love sun. Yep. yep. Yeah. So I think that systems and things like that in place, like I think very soon I'm going to bring on another coach for, for my coaching program. So um, mainly in, in more value. So probably to add another call, but uh, I think systems are really, I'm, I'm really focused on leverage right now. How can I do the highest leverage thing I, I've done in the past? We build everything and then sell it. It makes so much more sense to, build as you go. And like, I'm going to be charging way more once everything's built like fully. And I'm giving. Wow. That's interesting to think about. I think a lot of people don't talk about that. No, everybody thinks that you have to build first and then sell. You have to sell first to make sure that people actually want the thing. Cause if they don't want it, I have, I worked with a guy actually, he was trying to sell to engineers, build this whole course. We spent probably like a hundred hours and then nobody bought. And then wow. we gave and it was like all we had and this is also before i understood like we needed to take the webinar and give them a lead magnet 
and get their email. And then we needed to market to them from there. And there's a lot of things that we were missing that I just hadn't, you know, it was a failure that was needed. So again, everything happens in perfect timing in the right order. So you have to have these failures. Like you literally have to fail at biz- online business multiple times to learn the skills that, and learn how to place things in place, you know? And so like, I've been building a business online since 2020, you know, and failing over and over again and learning and developing all these skills along the way. So back to this book I was talking about, uh, the Scott Adams book, how to fail at anything and still get big. You just stack so many things, so many skills on top of each other that it would be unreasonable for you not to make like 30 grand a month. Yeah, and that's where I'm getting right now because I've built so many random skills. Just they weren't random. I mean, they ended up compounding together. You know, the, the musicianship stuff compounded with my video editing skills because I know how to chop stuff. And then my video editing skills taught me well, once I went to short form, it taught me what things are unnecessary and what to chop out. But um, that's a really good point. All these compounding skills. I actually brought that up with Garrett in the other episode. And actually, you already brought up the next topic I was going to say, which was failures. I almost feel like you need to be more proud of your failures than you are of your success. 100%. I think the biggest character trait that a lot of people are missing is being willing to be wrong Mm -hmm. and being willing to look stupid. If I'm wrong, then I'm learning something. Because now somebody like I don't have arguments. I have discussions and I'm hoping that the other person can win me over to their way of thinking because now I have a better model of the world. I love that you say that because I've literally been saying that so much. You can ask anyone. I've been saying the exact same thing you just said. It's like, I want you to prove me wrong. I put myself in a position telling you the truth on these podcasts, on anything. I'm going to say how I feel and it might bite me in the future somehow, but like, I'm going to tell you what I really think because then you can tell me and discuss it with me about why I'm wrong. If you prove me wrong, does that not make me smarter? You know, it's like both of us smarter because I made you think about it. Even if I'm wrong, I made you think about it. Exactly. Whereas an argument, the goal is to win. Exactly. It's a discussion though. What do you get from that? Yeah, it's a conversation. It's a necessary conversation. And that that actually, we're almost out out of it. We're almost done. But the last thing, or not the last thing, but one of them was asking the right questions. You know what? The importance of... Asking the right questions. I wanted you to go into that real quick. The importance of asking the right questions is literally everything. So, I mean, this is what this, the four hour work week at the very beginning, it's questioning assumptions and it's just asking questions in general, being willing to be wrong and trying to create a new model of the world that is more accurate. So have you ever heard the saying, the map is not the territory? I haven't. I like it. It's like a thing in NLP and it, the best way that I can describe it is if I'm trying to walk around this town with a map that's on paper, it's not the actual town. And so it could be wrong. It is wrong. So we have maps of reality. We believe things are a certain way. We have the hierarchical structures. We have even the borders, the countries, things like that, states, all these things <laughs> are just maps of reality. They're not the actual reality. One time me and my friend, we were walking, he was looking at the map and we were walking along this fence and I was like, I want to go on the other side of this fence. And he's like looking at the map, like it ends over there. You know, it ends up, <laughs> I'm like, bro, how do you know it ends over there? You just looked at a fucking map. So I was like, I'm going to go look, I don't care. I'm going. So I went 
and boom, there was a gate right there that I could crawl under. And I was like, they don't show you that on the map, bro. Yeah, exactly. So that's my point. You know, curiosity gets you very far. And I always say that it's so important. Curiosity is what took me to the knowledge that I have now. And it's going to take me farther because I ask so many questions. I want to know a lot of these questions that I ask you anyway, not only are validating what I'm saying anyway, but then there's some other stuff I'm asking you genuinely because I want to know. Yeah. So. I mean, I believe everything compounds. So like the, there's this idea of competition and it's like, no, if we collaborate, then people get smarter. We make better stuff. Like there's no worry about competition with people who are actually winners. Mm-hmm. Like for example, I do one-on-ones with Garrett and he's coaching me on how to build a sales coaching program as That's well. That's cool. That's cool. And he's like, yeah, I don't care. Like he's, he's like, I know there's more than enough. You know, and I like, well, I still refer people. There's sometimes when people, you know, are still qualified, but I don't want to work with them because I have very high standards. And so I can then just send them over to his program. There's something to be said about successful people, like truly successful people. A lot of them are actually so like, they're just good people in general. I've noticed a lot of people give them a bad rep because they don't have access to them or something. Yeah. Or it's programming. Yeah. You know, I've just realized though that like all of them, a lot of them, if not all of them, I mean, to get money, I think it's actually required to have this law of reciprocity kind of mindset and like actually giving back when someone does something for you. That's the only way you have a good reputation in business anyway. So it's like literally required, even if they're not technically good on the inside, they have to act, you know, they have to move that way in a good way, if that makes sense. 100%. Yeah. So you doing that and him helping you, he knows he's going to, it's going to come back to him. And sometimes oh, last thing before we go into the Q, if you want to still do the Q and a real quick. Yeah. Like, I just saw somebody was requesting and I think he yeah. unrequested. Before That's we fine. do that. Uh, last one was I wrote down lifestyles in relation to risk. So I think what I, what I was trying to say is a lot of people view this type of lifestyle of not being at a nine to five, like locked in a wage as risky. Don't you think is more risky to be locked in a wage when there's inflation and it's not changing, dude, your wage stays the same. They do that on purpose. Definitely more risky. Yeah. I mean, I've always been a huge risk taker. Like I first in general, like rock climbing is risky. And then I got into speed climbing, which is like taking more risk to go faster and just climb better and have more fun. I think that basically the younger you are, the, the more risk you should take, you should avoid risk that could end up in prison. Um, and then you should jail in general. Cause then you essentially lose the game of life. But, uh, the more that you can fail, the better, like the, literally the best changes come when you're at rock bottom. And so yeah. getting to failure and getting there fast, I think important. And then, yeah, I mean, if you're collecting skills and you're going back to this talent stack concept that I was talking about, how many people's jobs are going to be gone because of AI, right? Because they only learned one thing and they never learned any other skills. Yeah. Whereas if you have a bunch of skills, you are irreplaceable or you are so valuable. There's a book that's called So Good They Can't Ignore You. The biggest risk that I've noticed so far is that I actually have to work and I have to care about my work and put effort and pride into it versus when I worked for the government, I could fuck off for four and a half hours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You still get paid. For three and a half hours. I'd be playing ping pong on my breaks, you know, like now in order to make the money, I actually have to put in the work and yeah, there's, there's risks of whatever industry you're selling in, for example, that could go into a recession or whatever, but all ultimately like sales guys are going to be the last to go. 
Yeah, because they're always it's the essence of business, man. Like you gotta have someone money. to sell something. You gotta have exactly. the guy that sells it. Like if you want to sell anything. So even if you're using an AI, maybe you could be the guy that's using the AI to sell. <laughs> that's another thing, real quick, is that like a lot of people build skills, if not everyone, but they're building the wrong skills. Because mm. like yeah. you gotta build a skill that's irreplaceable, at least when it comes to AI coming in, you know, and stuff like that. You gotta be really intentional about what skills you build. Yeah, and you're never gonna be able to predict the future 100%, you know? Yeah. And so it's just like, the more skills that there are, like for me, for example, I don't think it's worth it for me to learn how to change the oil in my car. Like I, I have learned, but I just don't care. I'm yeah, just gonna pay something. Me too. To me, it's like that, even if I have to sit at the place while they're doing it and it's taking time, it's still just me not doing something that I don't wanna do. And like, yeah, maybe if we're in some Mad Max scenario, maybe I wish I would have learned how to change the oil, but I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I agree with you. Then I guess we'll go ahead and do the Q&A now, man. Is Joseph, Joseph what's going on, my man? Hey, guys. What's up? Yo. What up? Uh, figure out my situation. I was just sitting on my computer. So, yeah. Um, I would say this would be more towards like, a younger self but i still think i need to work on it um what is your process to completely eliminate a limiting belief or either decrease it so what is like the a to z process that you use to manage your living beliefs mm, that's a good question i'll let jeff go first yeah so first things first is just awareness like the fact that you know what limiting beliefs are you're already a huge step above you know more than half the population so uh you can find them maybe by journaling uh sometimes you need just other people who are better than you to call them out so that way you realize oh this might be a limiting belief and once you once you are aware of it now then you can be aware of well, why do I have this belief? Could this belief potentially be wrong? Like the power of questions, like asking the right questions like we were talking about before, asking myself, how could I be wrong or could I be wrong is, is one step. And then even just writing out how this belief could be wrong. Um, do you have an example of a limiting belief that you want to share? Yeah, I experience it every day when it comes to working my sales roles. And I'm still trying to figure it out I journaled for an hour and a half two nights ago, and I thought it was because of my incompetency when it comes to sales, but it actually was derived from, I feared the outcome because I would make money. And then I asked myself, why do I think that? And there were two reasons, you know, based off of past experiences of why I feared making money. So I'm at that stage now, now it's how do I completely change it? Like I'm aware, I know why I think it's so now. It's like, what's the next step after that? Uh, well, why do you, why do you fear making money? Like, are you, is it fear of success or is it something else? It might be that, but two of the things that I wrote down was number one, I don't want to take money because when I was younger, I took someone's belonging and I felt extremely guilty about it. Get back to them the next, the next day. And um, I don't like taking people's money. I would rather them give it to me. So it's a, a fear of, of stealing in a way. And I don't like feeling that way. And the other one was, 
Um, my grandfather, uh, he was, he was very greedy and I don't want to be greedy. I want to be generous. So those are the two things that I identified. Gotcha. So the second one that you talked about, it, this is a belief about rich people in general, that rich people are bad or that greed is, you know, you don't, you can, it, would you agree, Joseph, that you can have a lot of money and not be greedy? Absolutely. I mean, okay. Dave Ramsey is a great example. Yeah. So if we know that you can have a lot of money and not be greedy, what else do we need to, like, we just are fearing not being, I guess, like him, but is that mostly solved? Like, do you see yourself being greedy if you were to have a lot of money? No, because I wouldn't want to really spend, well, actually, I wouldn't want to spend anything. So is that considered to be greedy? Uh, it could be frugal. Yeah. Why would you not want to spend anything? Um, fear of not having anything left. Mm. So that's like the real thing, right? So we've circled back to, you don't want to make money because you're fearful of, if you have a lot of money, then you're not going to spend much of your money. And then you're like, because you're worried about running out, but you're in a position now where you're more close to running out. Wouldn't it be better to have a lot of money and then have those problems later on and deal with them? Absolutely. Cool. And that's where, where I'm like kind of trying. That's a weird word. But. I would like to say something real quick. One of the things that you should think about is I think Elon said it. Yeah, he said you'll get paid in proportion to the value that you provide. So whenever you view it like that, bro, you're providing value. You're not taking. You're providing. And that's the thing is whenever you realize they gave you their money, you didn't take it. They gave it to you. As long as you're just performing, man, and improving their business or their life in some type of way, they don't view that as you taking it from them. And neither should you. You just provided them value. So that's the biggest thing is that's why you get paid in the first place. Yeah. So exactly what he said. You're you're viewing it as taking money instead of receiving it or being given money. Right. Mm. Brute. I don't know if you know who Brute DeForce is. He has some fucking fire spaces sometimes. He had said this and it still sticks out to me. The thief and the salesman get the exact same thing, but the salesman gets permission. Yeah. Mm. So I invite you to think about you are asking for uh, them to invest money with you and if your product that you're selling or your service that you're selling is good, their life's going to be bad. So it would be like, it's basically unethical and bad if you don't do a good job of selling it, assuming the product's good, because you're now leaving them in a worse situation than they could have potentially had. And I have, I have one more thing. Um, I've been, I've been in that position, man, of like just moments, even recently, I had a guy that was willing to invest at least a thousand dollars into something that I was going to do for him. And I started almost feeling like guilty, but then there's no reason because if you're really providing something that's valuable, why would they ever view that as you taking it from them? That's the thing is if you're really helping them and their business or their life, they view that as worth it. And you have to actually come at it, viewing it that way. It's kind of like women. They know whenever you're not confident in yourself. It's the same thing. You have to be confident in your value that you're providing too. And they'll, they'll sense that. You just know you can help them. That's all that matters. You should actually start just focusing on your whole goal the whole time was just to help them. Yeah, you want to get paid so you can keep helping them. You, if you're not getting paid, you can't even help them in the first place. 
you got too much other stuff to focus on. Another question too about living beliefs. If, uh, if you guys mind, let it rip. So I encounter this and experience it quite a bit. It's right before I begin work or any kind of like work, I feel this internal resistance, like pushing me away from actually doing it. Have you guys ever experienced that before? Yeah, of course. Just push through it. Discipline, brother. Yeah, I mean, so is that normal? Like, it's not some weird. No, I think the most successful person just wants. Like, I know he wants to work, but the reason why he wants to work so bad is really just because of the result. You know, it's not like he really wants to just sit there. I feel like he doesn't want to just be at his desk all day, but he just wants. He knows it's worth it. That's how I view this, at least. What about you, Jeff? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I just view the whole thing as a game. Right. And I am controlling my character. Right. So your Tej has another good thread on this. You can find it in his freebies. It's like called like how I manifested $33,000 profit days. And uh, you view your life as a real life Grand Theft Auto character. So when your character is tired, when you feel tired, that's not you. That's your character that feels tired. So you use they got inside you to control your character. So you basically just pick up the controller and make your character do the thing anyway. And how do you get the stamina back? You know, you just take a break real quick, let him breathe, and then you're back at it. You got to keep the stamina up. Yeah. So it sounds more than anything that you success. That you what? Could you repeat that? Because it actually didn't come through on my Yeah, that he has a fear of success. Oh. And so what's actually behind that? And that's maybe something that you'll want to journal on. So like, what are you afraid of that? If you are successful, what is the type of person that you would become? And what are you afraid of something there? It could also be a fear of failure. It's funny that we talk about both of them, but it could also be, well, if I don't try, then I can at least say that I didn't try. Right. So then I didn't give it my all. What really sucks is if you try really hard and then you fail because that's why I like heartbreak is a thing, right? You try really hard to make the relationship work and then it doesn't. And then you like gave it your all. And But if you can tell yourself that, oh, I wasn't really, you know, that interested in this girl, or I wasn't really that all in on this thing. And I, I didn't give it my all. So if I would have, I, I would have been able to succeed. That's how the broke people stay broke, right there. Yep. Damn, bro. I never even thought about that before. I thought it was always just like a money belief. And maybe there's someone in your life, bro. Maybe there's someone in your life that you resent and they're successful. And maybe you just don't want to be like them. I'm just saying, I'm throwing things out there because it could be a million things, man. But the truth is, you know the limiting belief, so you're already ahead because you know it. A lot of people have the limiting belief and don't even know it's a limiting belief. They just defend it with their life. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because uh, through some meditation last week, um, which was suggested by you, Jeff, like that thought came to my mind. I was like, oh, there's no way that I'm fearful of like success or failure. No way. But it's like, actually, now that I think about it, yeah. And now it's about figuring out why and like 
what has made my unconscious mind think that way and then how to revert it to like not fearing success or failure i think it's mainly just like controlling the ego really that's the main thing is like yeah the ego, well that's interesting because ego can be good and it can be bad like yeah. a good ego can be good like well too much of anything is bad bro Sorry, what? i said too much of anything is bad yeah so um yeah i would say it's definitely just like part of the ego problem well too much money isn't bad i can't lie fail you know yeah more deeper things you don't want to so i would yeah i would journal into both uh you know is it possible that i fear failure and here's all the reasons why i feel failure, and write all those out and then um write out all the here's why i could possibly be fearing success you know i don't want to be like my grandpa i don't want to do this i don't want and come up with all the reasons and you know maybe maybe you'll get some clarity there uh the other advice if you want to um this would be like hiring a coach and spending money but uh which i from what we talked about last time i think that you're that's that's not what you're aiming to do now um but again if you can find a you have to be wise about this, but if you find it like a 0% APR credit card, that's, you know, 0% for a year and you're willing to bet on yourself, um, you just got to be smart, obviously, if you're doing that. But anyways, using NLP, that that's what we did. That like session we did when we were talking about not keeping your word, that was like a little NLP therapy thing. So that was like very brief and in front of a bunch of people. So we couldn't go as deep, but that is an incredible tool. Mm like the workstation exercise yeah exactly that's like this self-image concept and i i had somebody do this on me and then that's uh where i basically just like was like all right well i had taught it to one of my students and then i was like all right let's uh just just do it live and see what happens Mm. so Mm. um guys i gotta go my uh beautiful colombian girlfriend is wondering when i'm gonna take her to dinner that's all good i'll continue the space and finish it off but I will talk to you soon, man. I got something to talk to you about. Yeah, man. I mean, we're, we could have done this for another two hours easily. I, I could go forever, bro. I think we should do this more often again with you because we could do these questions, man. I like, I enjoy doing this. So Absolutely. If anybody's listening to the recording and you want to get good at sales, DM me sales and I'll take care of you. Yes, sir. Thank you for coming on the podcast. I always say, I know your time is money. And I respect it 100%. And uh, I just know that this is a worthy use of our time because we're really changing people's lives, really. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, bro. It was a pleasure. All right, man. We'll talk soon. Peace.